Hey guys, I'm Eric McLean. And I'm Kelly Gramlich. It's time to talk some ACC football. Let's go. Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome into the Gramlich and McLean podcast. Today, we are continuing ACC under review. It's hard to believe this is our 10th episode, KG, in this mini-series. Guys, if you missed any of the previous episodes, be sure to go back, check them out on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, really wherever you listen to your podcast. We are there. KG did an amazing job way back when setting us up so we would be on every single platform, but today... We are talking about the Florida State Seminoles with the one and only Ira Chauffel. That's right, Mac. And, you know, Ira, we spent a lot of time with him. I mean, we this thing could have gone on for an hour. We had so much to talk about with Ira. And I think there's just a lot to talk about right now with Florida State and what's going on there. So let's intro Ira. He's an absolute legend in the business. He's been covering college athletics since 1991 and has been on the Florida State beat since 2002. Safe to say he's pretty locked in on the Seminoles. He's seen it all. Ira is the managing editor of Warchant.com and the co-host of Seminole Headlines. Really, really excited to get this one to you guys. You're going to love this conversation. As KG said, we could have talked for an hour plus, uh, but we had, we had to get out of there and get Ira back to his uh, his day job. But let's get to the interview. Ira, welcome into the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Really excited to have you to talk all things Florida State. This episode is going to start a little bit differently than what we've done in in some of the past, just because I know you're so in tune with Florida State. And I really want to talk about FSU as a program and and start with the administration. I, I remember reading an article that I think you posted early December that said, you know, for nearly a decade, you know, Florida State's administration has just kind of been in, in this funk. And and now, you know, they really have a chance. And, and President uh, McCullough really has a chance to make a good hire, to have great leadership, and, and to point FSU in this right, right direction. In your opinion, is Michael uh, Alaford that? And, you know, being a guy who has been there, seen that for a couple years at least, you know, how do you feel about that hire in general? Yeah, I mean, I think it was a good hire. Um you know, I think that it's hard for me to say I'm not in the interviews, so it's hard for me to say I'm not one of the people who's like, oh, that was this this guy's perfect or that guy's perfect. Because, you know, I mean, we know in our jobs that there are people that some t- some people perceive a certain way and, and others who are inside realize it might be different. So um, I think he's a good hire. I think he's got really good experience. But the m- thing I'm most excited about for Florida State, and as you mentioned, uh, that I wrote about was it's been, I mean, it's been more than a decade. I mean, it's probably been I don't know, man, it's been close to 15 years that Florida State hasn't really had an alignment in from the president down to the football coach and everybody in between. And uh, and so for a variety of factors, and I could go through them all, it would bore some of your listeners and the, the people who are really in tune to it probably already know it. But, um, but yeah, it just hasn't been an, an alignment, and that's part of where things broke down with Jimbo Fisher. And, you know, we can all litigate who was at fault, and it's like a lot of relationships, I think, Everybody was at fault. And, uh, and so, but now they do have, you have a fresh start. You have a fresh start with a president, an athletic director, and Michael Alford. Uh, they'll have a new boot, uh, president of the Seminole Boosters, which is a key part as well. And you have a football coach who's still pretty young. Now, this is the reason I didn't think that they should probably hire Willie, fire Willie Taggart when they did, 
not because I thought he was going to turn it around, but I was concerned that you were going to hire a football coach and then have all these other changes down the line. And so, but it's happened soon enough that I think you can kind of, and Mike Norvell seems to be the kind of guy who, who's going to work well uh, with his administration. So I think that they're, they're all on the same page right now. And I think that's good for Florida state because you just have everybody, whether or not the people in charge are hundred percent, the right people and have the hundred percent, the right direction. I don't know yet. Cause they're all new. The president's new, the athletic director's new, but at least they're all rowing the boat in the same direction, and it hasn't been the case in a long time. Yeah, that, that's what I thought you were going to say was at least they're going in, in the same direction. We don't know if it's the right way, but they're going together. So that's a really good sign. And Ira, look, I'm sure you've gotten this question like 50 billion times, and we ask this to our poor, our dear friend EJ Manuel. We ask him this every time he comes on, and he never knows. He's like, oh, my God, why? Why do I have to answer this again? But – you know, as two Clemson grads here, look, we're very familiar with FSU's dominance. <laughs> when they were dominant, and, you know, the 90s, obviously, but even the early 2010s with the national championship team, Max saw it firsthand. He played yeah, against it. Yeah, uh, 51-14 was super fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really cool. <laughs> I was on the hill for that game. It was, a, it was a really tough moment for young Kelly. So here's the question. How does FSU get back to dominance? Yeah, I mean, that's the million-dollar question. Right, well, right. I guess billion-dollar question at this point with college football. Uh, you know, I, I think it really starts where Mike Norvell has started, um, but but to say it's going to get there or when it's going to get there, that's that's a harder conversation. But, um, you know, the, the 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 situation Mike Norvell inherited, and, and this isn't to play violence for him. I mean, there's a lot of tough situations, and a lot of coaches come in and have success quicker. Um, but it was about as bad as you could get. I mean, you know, Jimbo's last couple of years, it's pretty well documented. You know, he was flirting with LSU every year. I think he would have taken that job if it could have happened. Um, he was trying to get out. And, and once you, once you get in that mindset and I've been in jobs before where I was looking to leave and it's hard to, you, you're not as good because you're, you're looking to leave. And so things were slipping, things were slipping in recruiting and evaluation of players. You look at the quarterbacks they brought in, uh, after Jameis. I mean, it's just one disaster after another. Um, you look at um, accountability in the program, the weight program, uh, just everything was slipping, but they were still finding, they were still so talented in, that in the ACC, they were still winning 10 games a year. So you couldn't like ring the alarms and, and, and you know, everybody just kind of start complaining. Everybody was like, okay, well, this is, maybe we'll get another Jameis or maybe we'll get, you know, maybe Dalvin and you get another couple more pieces. And Dalvin was kind of, I think, masking some of the problems. Um, but anyway, so then they, Things were sliding, and then you know Willie comes in and just totally misread the situation. And part of that's probably on him. Part of it's probably on the people that brought him in. And I think there was so much talk about how Jimbo treated people and how you know the the players were disen felt disenchanted. And so I think Willie tried to kind of bring everybody together and thought if 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 they like me, if they like the staff, then then they'll play hard. And that didn't happen either. And so now you bring in. So you've had basically four or five years now of not real accountability, uh, kids not really doing or being led in the right direction. So Norvell gets there, and, I mean, he really had to start from the beginning. And so part of it was pushing some kids out. Part of it was some kids who who you would have loved to have stayed, but they were sick of it, so they left. So you just had this huge overturn of the roster, and, and the players that were left, a lot of them were not very good. And so now I think he's he's at least got the program. They're doing the right things. If you go to practice, I mean – you guys could come to practice and you would say, okay, this looks like what a college football practice is supposed to look like. 
Um, but maybe the players aren't what they're supposed to look like at this point. So that's going to be the next step. For, from a concerning standpoint, if you're an FSU fan, this past recruiting class, they had some chances to, to get some real high-profile players because of connections. You know, Marvin Jones Jr., his dad's a legend. Uh, you couldn't get him. Um, you know, the Travis Hunter situation, you didn't get him. Um, so there were some high-profile players that you felt like, okay, it, can Mike Norvell get those kinds of players? Because that's a question anytime you hire a coach from, you know, the, the, mid, the group of five level. And so he hasn't really done that at a high level yet. He's had a few here and there. Um, but, you know, those are the players you get, you're going to need to start winning those battles to become an elite program again. I mean, Jimbo did that. I mean, he brought in elite players. Um, we haven't seen that yet, but I think Mike Norvell's been really focused on just getting the infrastructure right, and I think he's done right. that. Right, and, and I think, you know, that's kind of the, the biggest things is, is exactly what you just said there. And, you know, number one, being recruiting. Like, you, you have to be able to do that. You have to have, you know, the bodies. And, and you know, interestingly enough, the transfer portal, a new thing. We'll, we'll touch on that a little bit later. But I think the third piece and, and kind of the last piece after you have the people, the staff, and then the players itself is, you know, facilities. And something that, you know, I talk with Coach Rick all about that he dealt with at Florida State and then at Georgia uh, with two legendary coaches, uh, clearly in, in uh, you know, the, the, the guys that they have there, Bowden and the things that, you know, they were so good. They were killing everybody and winning the way. It was like, we don't need anything else. We, we don't need to do this. But as Ira, as you know, Kelly knows, I know, it is an arms race. And, and it is who has the shiniest toy, who has the coolest thing, and Florida State, for whatever reason, hasn't been able to keep that up. Are there plans that you can enlighten, you know, your fans, our listeners, that okay, this is the way ahead for Florida State from a facilities for football standpoint? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a huge topic here, um, and and it's been a topic of you know when Coach Bowden, that was never really Coach Bowden in that era. That wasn't it; just wasn't a thing. You know, if you guys remember back in the day, like the when Miami was rolling, their players. You know, Edron James would come back from the NFL and work out in their awful weight room, and, right. and they bragged about it, like <laughs> right. how great it was. We don't need anything. We've got the, you know, just give us some dumbbells and we're good. And uh, that was kind of the mentality back then. Well, it's not anymore. And, and so when Jimbo, Jimbo was trying to push that, and that's kind of where a lot of the, you know, consternation came from. Jimbo was pushing that, but a lot of people in the old school were like, we never needed that before. Why are you always asking for something new? Why is it always? Why do you always have right, to have right. the, the yes, biggest yes. and the best? And so his point was, you know, look at what Clemson's building. You know, look at what you know Florida's going to end up building. Look at what some of these other schools have. So, so that was a, a, the root of the problem. Now, what Florida State people would say is they were going to build it. They wanted to build it. They wanted to do it, but they just couldn't do it overnight. Florida State doesn't have that kind of money. And uh, but you know he didn't want to hear it. And I think at that point he was already looking to leave. But. Um, yeah, it's a, a definitely a top priority. They've been hurt for by two things. One was they had a lot of momentum to try to build a football facility. That's the big thing. Everybody wants a standalone football facility. They had a lot of money put towards that before Jimbo left. Then he leaves, and Willie come, Willie Tiger comes in and is selling it. Willie even donated a million of his own dollars um, to the project. I mean, he, they got a lot of momentum going, and then the season started, and they were terrible. And you know, they just they got blown out every week. And so all the momentum for that facility dropped. Cause now people are like, are we really going to write checks for this program that we don't even know where it's going to go or how long this guy's going to be there. So you have to reset it again. Mike Norvell comes in. Now they're doing it again. And, and they seem to be determined to do it. I think they're looking to try to break ground on it maybe after this season. And so I think that's, they're definitely, uh, we talked to the chairman of the board of trustees last week and Peter Collins, and he said, 
It's going to be sooner than people expect. We're going to do this. I think they're in the mindset right now. You know, people will say, is Mike Norvell the right guy? I don't even know if, if, if you gave them all truth serum, if they knew 100% he's the right guy, but they're all in. They know that they have no choice but to be all in to give him a chance to prove he's the, guy, the right guy or the wrong guy. Right. And, and so that's their mindset. Right now, they are dedicated to pouring money into facilities. That's, that's right. I think, you know, it, it's such a double-edged sword right now because to ask that question, is he the right guy, you have to say, well, have we given him everything, every everything that we can? And I don't know if that answer is yes right now. It actually is probably no because of this facility, because of these things. And then once that happens, then I think it's an affair evaluation. And, and it does he really get a true swing? All right, that, that, that's kind of the overarching thing I wanted to do, kind of program-wise. But let's jump into to 21 and, and really look back at this season because it started with an absolute thriller. Sunday night game, the entire country is watching. FSU plays an amazing game. I, very much unexpected from myself after seeing you know kind of camp and what they were going to look like. And th- I just knew things with what they were going to have to do. Losing overtime to number nine over, over – uh, no, number nine, Notre Dame, and then things just get weird. I mean, FSU loses to Jacksonville State and then continue to slide to 0-4. The wheels are falling off. I remember sitting on the huddle for those three to four weeks saying, what is happening? Is FSU going to win a game? Because they just couldn't figure it out. And what do they do? They respond. They win five of their last eight. The team really came together. Uh, Jermaine Johnson, Jordan Travis, a coach. I mean, everybody did such a great job. And this team just rose up and, and came together that finished somewhat strong. Um, yeah, you know, I think that Notre Dame game might have been the worst thing that could have happened to them. In in one key situation, it was the quarterback situation. You know, when, when McKenzie came in, you know, McKenzie Milton transferred into Florida State, you know, people were just so excited, you know, that the you know, they saw him in 2017 and 18 at UCF, and and you're thinking, can we get that guy? And and then, you know, Mike Norvell, Mike Norvell's a very positive guy. So he's, you know banging the drum that we we believe he's healthy, our doctors say he's healthy. And then all spring, you know, we're out there at practice and it he just didn't look good. You know, it didn't look it looked like a guy was rusty and, and wasn't himself. But then he goes out in the spring game and you turn on the lights and he looked pretty good. And he had a nice spring game. So now you're like, okay, well maybe that's who he is. And then it happens in that Notre Dame game where again all of preseason camp, you know, he wasn't able to practice all the time because his leg wasn't healthy and he didn't look great when he was practicing. And so Jordan wins the job, but then Jordan, his helmet comes off, McKenzie comes in, throws a dart right away, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's a McKenzie Milton show. And we're all, you know, everybody in the country is writing this story about this, you know, it's a Disney movie. And so now they're, I I hate to say it, but they were kind of stuck with McKenzie Milton at that point. I, I don't think, if they had switched back to Jordan Travis as the guy, after that, it's easy to say now that that was the right choice, but I think the people would have lost their minds, especially if Jordan didn't go out and dominate. And so that was just this cloud hanging over. So they they kind of went ahead with McKenzie. He was not the guy he used to be. And, and this wasn't the team. I'm not saying he couldn't have had some success in a college program, but with that offensive line and those wide receivers, you needed to have somebody back there who can make something happen. And he's just not that guy anymore. So, so I thought that those four games, there were a lot of other reasons they lost. Uh, you know, a ton of mistakes in those games, ton of penalties. Uh, they really cleaned things up after that first month. They got a couple of guys back on the offensive line that were banged up, uh, including the center, Maurice Smith. That was a big deal. But the biggest thing was saying, okay, Jordan Travis, you're our guy. Because the kids, you know, man, and Eric, you know better than I do, and, and you guys both do from playing college sports. But, like, 
players know, you know, players know who can play. And so if you're putting a guy out there who the players don't feel like gives them the best chance to win, now it, it might affect them. So not to say they didn't love McKenzie, but it's just they, I think they wanted to ride with Jordan. So when he takes back over, I think that changed the whole team. And then they start, start making mistakes and, you know, got started playing cleaner football. And like you said, man, five, won five of the next seven. I feel like if they played the way they did in those seven games, they would have beat Florida. And uh, anyway, so, but, but you're right. I mean, they, it was like two different seasons, the first four games and then the, the last eight. It's a great point, Ira. I'm not sure I've heard someone make that point about the McKenzie-Milton situation because I remember, Mac, you and I on the podcast, we were saying, well, feels like you got to go with Milton because Jordan Travis, he made a few uh, crucial mistakes against Notre Dame, which is kind of, you know, he's good for one kind of crazy pick a game. That's, that's kind of what he does. But he's also their best chance to win. Before we continue on and talk about the offense and, and Jordan Travis, just from your point of view, Ira, I know there are, everyone's not really sure. Is Norvell the guy to, to make Florida State what it, what it can be? But the fact that he kept that program together at 0-4, what did you hear specifically being there every day? And how was he able to do that? Because a lot of coaches would not have been able to do that. You know, I think they really were, they were shook after Jacksonville State. You know, they, that, they, at that point, I was worried for Mike Norvell um, because now, you know, he is a demanding coach. You know, and he is one of those coaches that's going to ride those guys like you want a coach to do. But when you, when you go out and lose to a, an FCS program and then you have so much criticism and, and, you, and, and again, the players might think you're playing the wrong guy. And then, you know, so, so I thought that I was, I was concerned he might lose a team. And then they went out there and stunk the next week or two. And I, and I really thought, okay, this, this may not work out well for him. Um, but I really think there were a couple things that happened. One was he did go back to Jordan Travis. I thought that was a big one. Uh, they also got a couple guys back healthy. And so they, they kind of, I don't say they went all in with Jordan, but I, but they did go kind of go all in with Jordan. And, and, and I think that, gave it gave some energy back to the team and then they started playing better and i think then it just kind of it so you know it's funny like people and again you guys know this but sometimes as fans and media we think so many things are intentional like the things that that things happen because this happened this this is why it happened i remember talking to players in 2012 before florida state won the national championship the next year there were players on the team that won 12 games that were not happy with Jimbo Fisher. That didn't think he was committed. Right. That didn't think he was committed enough to the running game. They didn't like some of the decisions he made. And you know, because I mean, uh, the game, you know, EJ wouldn't want to talk about it. But the game against Florida, where he had a lot of turnovers, I thought their game plan was terrible in that game. I, they they just they kept throwing the ball. They could have run it. And, and so there were things like that. The players on the team weren't super confident in Jimbo. But then the next year, once you get going with Jameis, and now you talk to those players on the 2013 team now. It's revisionist history. Those guys believe J Jimbo hung the moon and was the greatest thing ever. But the year before, a lot of them were questioning it. So I really felt like once they started having some success, some success, and the fact that he never blamed them, I mean, I think was big. He didn't lose them. He didn't blame them for what was going wrong, which some coaches will do. He also didn't change anything, you know, and I think that's a key thing. Sometimes coaches, and we're seeing that right now with Leonard Hamilton, the basketball program. Right. Everybody's calling for Leonard Hamilton to change everything because they're losing. And he, we were just on a Zoom with him this morning, and he said, I'm not going to change what, what we do. I mean, we don't have the players we need right now, but when we do, we're going to keep doing what we do. And I think that was a key for him as well, is just not 
panicking, you know, and I, and I think and it would be easy to do that at, at that point when you're 0-4 in your first big-time uh, coaching job. Right. And, and really, you know, you've, you've mentioned this a couple of times, Ira, but the emergence of Jordan Travis was, I think, a big turning point, as, as everyone here has already said. And he's, he's just so much fun. He's a fun football player to watch. He's really exciting to watch. And I, I want to take your or get your take on this because EJ has said a couple of times now that Florida State should sell out. And you kind of just said it. They need to be all in or they were all in. But he's saying maybe even another step to say, this is our guy. The entire offense needs to be built around JT going into 22 do you think that's kind of – is that their game plan? Because I think he showed growth, 15 touchdowns, six picks, and really you could see the play calling change because I remember – I believe it was the Louisville loss. It was like quick screen here, quick out here, and then they finally let him throw the ball downfield, and we saw him emerge as a runner, as a passer, all these different things. So in your opinion, is that Florida State's plan going into 22 that, man, this is his team, this is going to be his offense, we're making it to fit him? Man, it has to be because, you know, they, they made a decision to not really go after a big-time transfer quarterback. And so they're kind of all in. I mean, you know, for better or worse, Mike Norvell, I think his his tenure is going to be tied to Jordan Travis now um, because, you know, he they did make the move to bring in McKenzie last year, and it, and it blew up in their face, and it didn't work out at all. And so now if you were to go, you know, a lot of the fans wanted them to get, get in the sweepstakes for Max Johnson or some of these other quarterbacks, and I just feel like, if I'm Mike Norvell, I'm telling Jordan Travis that I don't believe in you because, and, and I know we all love competition and everybody wants competition and nobody's afraid of it. I'm not saying Jordan's afraid of it, but you're also kind of sending a message to this kid. If I'm going to get a starter from an SEC school or some other school to come in that I feel like I'm not sure that you can get the job done. And really you can make a case that in Mike Norvell's tenure at Florida state, almost all the wins are mostly because of Jordan Travis and the place he made. And, and like Kelsey said, like he's not perfect. I mean, like nobody's trying to tell anybody. I'm not trying to tell anybody that Jordan Travis is one of the top five quarterbacks in the country, but he's got a unique skill set, um, and he's he's what you, he's the best you have. And it, I just felt like, you know, some players might be able to handle it better than he did last year. He did not handle it well, but it's hard. It's hard to say that because, you know, if you're this kid who who – who basically won any games you won the year before were mostly result of him. And he comes back the next year and the fans are kind of booing when he goes in the game because they want Mackenzie Milton. And so it's, it's, you know, it's easy for everybody to say like, well, if you're a competitor, that shouldn't matter, man, you're 21 years old. That matters. I mean, you go out there in front of 70,000 people who don't want you out there. Um, so I really think that they had to kind of be all in with Jordan. If they believe he can do it. I think they believe if he stays healthy, which I think he's, I think the injury stuff is a little bit overblown. I personally think if he stays healthy, I think they, they can build around him and have a successful offense by giving him more weapons. They've gone out and, and you know, they've gone out and got better receivers. They've gone out and got a couple transfer offensive linemen. You know, he can't do it alone. Um, but yeah, I think they're riding with Jordan Travis as long as he, you know, if he's healthy, he's definitely got to be the guy and it has to be kind of what he does. Look, I agree, and I think this is a situation where can Jordan Travis get you to eight wins? Can he get you to nine wins? And then you're at a point where you can go get a big fish in regular recruiting or the portal and stick with your guy because he's a guy that obviously is super committed to this program. Let's talk defense here, Ira. We were able to see Jermaine Johnson at the Senior Bowl, and interviewing him in person and then seeing him in person in practice, like behemoth is the word that comes to mind. Just absolute freakazoid in the best way possible. I mean that term in the best way. So 
is this a guy, when he came in from Georgia, obviously this was a big, big get for Norvell. Did you expect him to have this kind of impact? I probably didn't because my I'm, I'm kind of thinking to myself, okay, you know, I mean, his numbers weren't like amazing at Georgia. And so, I mean, they were, they were okay. They were good. Um, the fact that he was playing on the field with those guys said a lot. <laughs> right, um, right. But, you know, when we, when we saw him in spring practice, first time we saw him physically in spring practice uh, last year, you know, it was just, man, it's just like, oh, my gosh. I mean, and you guys felt like he stood out maybe at the Senior Bowl with the best of the best. Imagine massive, him massive. Being, being with a bunch of Florida State guys in that current roster, you know. And so it, it was like this guy looks like he's from another planet. And so they couldn't block him, and he's making all these plays. But then you kind of get in that mix of, you know, when you're trying to evaluate a practice is, is he really this good or are the offensive tackles this bad? Uh, and, and it, you know, if he couldn't do it really at Georgia, is this, does this just show how far Florida, far Florida State has fallen? Because this guy's this beast here, and he was a, he was a role player at Georgia. Um, I thought, and I was super impressed, you know, all season – but the Clemson game to me was the biggest validation because, man, now you're going up against the best of the best, and not to say that Clemson had the best offensive line in the country, but but you're, you're in that stage, going up against the the way they've recruited, and to make the kinds of plays he made. I mean, the play that you know could have been the game winner gave them a lead late in the game. That was when I was like, okay. I mean, not that I didn't know he was really good, but like I mean, you could feast on defensive ends can feast on bad competition. Um, when you do it on that stage against that team, I, that was like, okay, this guy's legit. <laughs> I mean, bright spot to say the least. He, he's just he's freaky. He's fun to watch, and I'm with you. When when that kind of happened, that play, that touchdown, the sack touchdown, that was like, okay, like th- this is the guy. And I remember we had I'm I'm forgetting when that game happened, but we did our midseason awards and already had him as defensive player of the year, and, and just knew that you know he continued to dominate. So he he was a bright spot for 21. But where do you really need to see, I guess, this defense take another step, improve going into 22? Yeah, I mean, there's not another Jermaine Johnson uh, over there. Um, but, but I do think they're going to be solid. Uh, and they made a lot of strides this past season. You know, and he wasn't all of it. You know, they also had um, a really good other defensive end who transferred in from South Carolina. Um, so they, you know, they had some, some transfer that, that played big roles. But I think the, the, the back seven is going to be much better this year. Um, I think you know you bring back everybody. You bring back basically everybody in the in the secondary, uh, and you also bring in a, a couple extra pieces. You bring in Greedy Vance, who started at Louisville. Um, you also uh, in the in the linebacker core, you bring back all those guys who are young. Plus, you bring in uh, Tatum Bethune from UCF, who was their leading tackler, had over 100 tackles last year at UCF. So he'll he'll I think be a starter from day one. And um, you know the defensive tackle position is really solid. I mean, you bring back basically all those guys. You know, Fabian Lovett's a, a really impressive guy. Came on last year, transferred from Mississippi State. Uh, Robert Cooper has been starting now for three years. Huge dude, kind of a space eater. Uh, they've got a couple other guys that came on late last season that provided depth. So much so that Dennis Briggs, who was a starter at defensive tackle, may move to defensive end to kind of shore up that position. So, um, you know, they're really, uh, you know, I think the defensive, defensive line is going to take a step back. Um, it's not going to be what, what it, quite what it was, but I think the back seven is going to be much better, and I think the defense line is going to be okay. So I, I don't think the defense is going to take a, a a big step forward this year without Jermaine Johnson and some of those guys, but I also don't think it's going to take a big step. Yeah, and, and you know what I think is just so interesting because of the portal and because you know you can go and get guys. I mean, Jared Verse, I, I think he's going to be really solid. I, I don't know if he'll have quite the Jermaine Johnson-type level or impact, but I think he could. I mean, I think he certainly can when you see his ability and, and 
He's such a good pass rusher. I mean, if they just put him in that spot to, you know, be kind of that that rabbit, or if they put him in a rabbit, you know, defensive line front and say, go get it. I mean, look out. So, I mean, it's been very impressive, Ira, to to see what FSU has done in the portal and the instant success that they have really had. I mean, what does that kind of tell you in a guy that has covered this sport for a very long time and you've seen a lot of changes? Just what does it tell you about the landscape of college football right now? Well, I mean, it's been huge for Mike Norvell. I mean, it's the only thing really giving him a chance these last couple of years with the way they turned over the roster. You know, in the, on the one hand, he's had some bad breaks because, you know, coming in right away in the COVID year, uh, and, and, you know, not having a spring, his first spring, really the whole offseason program, and also, um, you know, inheriting the program he inherited. I mean, it was a really tough situation. But then on the other side of it, he's gotten a huge advantage from the transfer portal. If that didn't exist, I don't know – you may be talking about a six or seven year rebuild. And so, as you said, he was able to go out and get those guys last year. Uh, he's got 10 transfers in for the spring. He's going to be getting a few more transfers um, this summer. And it, it just changed it, it. To me, it gives, it gives everybody hope. You know, the one thing that kind of stinks about college football right now is the playoff kind of, you feel like a lot of teams don't even have a prayer to get there. And so you've got this exclusive club that, that very few people can break into Cincinnati did this year, but that, you know, there's a feeling in a lot of fans' minds and media's minds that, you know, it's going to be Alabama and Georgia and Clemson and Notre Dame or who, you know, that's going to be the group every year. Well, the transfer portal, I think, kind of makes you feel, gives you some some hope that if you're if you're outside of that group, that man, look at Southern Cal. I mean, you know, they're now Oklahoma West, and you know, they're and with the NIL opportunities in Southern California, I mean that that program to me, everybody talks about Texas A&M and what they did, and it's huge, and they're going to be a big factor. But I think Southern Cal is going to be a huge issue, and so you're so and, and now and again these opportunities to bring to overhaul your roster pretty quickly, um, I, I, it changes everything, and I think it opens the win- door for some other. Yeah, team. and what's fascinating is okay, we see Texas A&M. It's kind of two extremes on opposite ways. Texas A&M allegedly, and I don't whatever you want to say it, the money for NIL to get recruits. Southern Cal using the transfer portal, so you have kind of these instant known commodities. In, in USC and getting some guys from Oklahoma. And then for Texas A&M, it's like, okay, what will this look like in three, four years? Who knows? So it, it's going to be really fascinating to see kind of how and where this whole thing ends up. Can, can I ask you guys one thing? This is just a theory I have that, and some people think I'm crazy because it's because it's football and it's different. You can't do it as easily in basketball. But, you know, you look at what, you know, LeBron and Dwayne Wade and those guys did. Like you see it in the NBA now where these guys will go to a team, Durant joining the, you know, the Warriors. Can you not see that maybe happening in college football? Because I don't. You don't need to bring it. People are like, "Oh, there's too many players in college football." Man, if you give me a quarterback, a running back, are we that far away from that possibly happening? I think it's probably more. It's tough because I think it, it would make more sense for it to happen right out of high school, where you get, you know, the top QB, two wideouts, and a DN that all are friends and say they want to go here. Because in the portal, you know, eventually one of those guys is going to go somewhere and probably be happy. But then it, we're seeing it a little bit with South Carolina yeah. where Rattler goes there and he's saying, I want Stogner to come and he's getting some other guys to come. I so will tell you, I, it's cra- what's crazy is how everybody's friends. Like I'm seeing, yeah. I'm seeing Social media. Clemson guys or I'm seeing FSU guys posting on their story about Miami guys and about Florida guys. I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? You hate these guys. <laughs> what are you doing? They're all friends. So Ira, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I think it's kind of, okay, we go our separate ways, and it's like, eh, let's get back together. Let's do it uh, you know, on USC's team, and let's win a couple championships. I mean, think about when the um, 
during the you know the racial equality movement and then the players and then right trevor lawrence and when those players from all these different teams were like hey we've gotten like we've got a pack we're going to stand together now that hasn't really carried on but that was the first time i is a i think as a outsider as a media person or a fan you're like wait a minute these guys can talk amongst each other you know that might not ever happen 20 years ago but now it does and so you know and i mean everybody's talking about tampering you know between the coaches i mean i just yeah, you know, I mean, it's already happening. Look, Florida State got Micah Pittman at wide receiver, and he transfers in from Oregon. Not long after that, Johnny Wilson, who's a wide receiver at Arizona State that played with Micah Pittman in high school, he goes in the portal and immediately hits up Mike Norvell, and he's now at Florida State. So, I mean, again, those guys aren't at the level I'm talking about. But, man, you talk about, you know, if you bring in four or five elite players to an already good team, you know, I, I just think it can change everything. Yeah. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. That'll be really interesting, the super team uh, concept. All right, let, let's talk about this schedule. I, I find Florida State's schedule interesting every year because it's always difficult. I mean, it is because you're going to play Clemson every year. You're going to play Florida every year. You're going to play Miami every year. And then lately you throw NC State in there or Louisville, you know, and those are always losable games. So you, I see like four automatic dubs perhaps. And then beyond that, it's a matter of can you knock off some of these teams? And I'm really intrigued by the beginning. Duquesne in week zero. I didn't know they had a football team. And then LSU on that Sunday of, of Labor Day weekend in New Orleans. So let's just start with that. I mean, that LSU game, LSU's rebuilding. You know, they got Brian Kelly and everything. But it's. do you ever just look at Florida State's schedule when they're rebuilding and think, lay off a little. Like, <laughs> Why don't we schedule do a power five. <laughs> Why are we doing this? Yeah, it's it's a lot of FSU fans are starting to wonder that. But you know, I think the the Duquesne in the in the Duquesne game was really shrewd on their part because I think they you know they knew they had the LSU game in the opener, and they've gotten bitten you know on, on these big time openers in the past. You know, they haven't won an opener in five six years now. Uh, it's been since 2016 since they won an opener, and so I the getting Duquesne in that week zero because Duquesne could play in that week zero was huge for them because it gives them a chance to at least get their feet under them before they go over to LSU. So I think that was really smart on their part. And yeah, you know, you look at that game, I think that game, I'm not going to say that game determines their season because I really think the Louisville game, maybe a little bit later, you know, the next time out is going to be a huge game for them because Louisville does not have a, a week off before. Louisville has to go to UCF the week before they play Florida State. FSU has a week off before they go to Louisville. And so I think that's going to, and it's a short week because they're playing on Friday night. So that game to me, you... Florida State, to get back to, as we've talked about, we're not talking about winning 11, 12 games, just getting back to winning eight or nine games, which I think this roster could do, that's a game you've got to find a way to win at Louisville. And and that's and those are the games, as you said, those are the games, the NC States, the Louisville's, Wake Forest, they've got to clear that hurdle before right. they can even talk about being, you know, where they used to be. And and so, so LSU's a big game, but I think the biggest thing out of that is it can't, even if they lose it, it can't do something to them where it hurts them in that Louisville game. To me, the Louisville game is a huge game. Right, and I want to ask your opinion on this too because it's it's fascinating to me. Florida State plays on a Sunday, a Friday, and a Friday to end the season. Three, the most in the ACC non-Saturday games. To you, is is that good? Is it bad? Is it weird? I mean, I just love you know people who are there on the ground covering this team. What is your opinion on seeing that on the schedule? A lot of fans aren't thrilled about it, for sure. I mean, you know, especially, you know, Tallahassee's a hard t stadium to get to. If you live in South Florida, it's six hours away. If you live in Atlanta, it's five hours away, you know, four or five hours away. So it's just, 
it's not, and that's where their biggest alumni bases are. So it's uh, it's tough to get into. So you're talking about playing on a Friday night. Now it can be challenging. Now the Thanksgiving game, um, it's a it's a holiday weekend. So some people are complaining because it's their holiday weekend, but at least they're they're off. Most of them are going to be off on Friday, so they can make the drive up for the game. Um, you know, I think the 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 biggest challenge for Florida State with those odd night games is um, they, they can never play a home game on Thursday night because of the way the campus is. It's, there's so many classrooms around the stadium. The only time they've ever done it was a Clemson game, like, I mean, in early, maybe 03 or 04, somewhere in there. And they basically had to cancel school. And so, yes. so I think the Sunday night game is appealing because of that. The Friday games are appealing because of that. Like, the, they moved the Florida game this year. You know, I think TV wanted them to move the Florida game to Friday night or at least consider it. And from what I was told, the people at FSU said, all right, we'll consider playing on Friday, but we're not playing Friday afternoon. Like if if you if you're gonna make us play on Friday again, we've like you said we've got two other unique nights. It's got to be a night game. It's got to be on prime time. So they've been assured of that. Um, so 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 that I think makes it easier to stomach. But I don't think that you know the coaches or players probably care all that much. But I do think the 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 fans. It's a concern. Yeah, it'll be really interesting, and especially I can tell you this: winning cures everything. So just take care of business, FSU. Then and and you'll just be fine. Ira, as we let you get out of here, I'd, I'd be remiss if we didn't ask you about your expectations. What do you think this FSU team, where do they end up in 22? What, what is, the, what is the, the record or whatever you want to call it? What does it look like in 22? You know, I think they can get to eight wins, um, and, but they're going to have to win a couple of these coin toss games. I mean, you know, like you guys said, there's not, there's not a lot of sure wins. I mean, there's probably four or so you know, you'd like to think sure wins, although after Jacksonville State, <laughs> I, that's, we all see that, that term differently now, but but um, you know, you feel like there's at least probably four games that they feel good about. They should win, and then so now it's like, okay, there's a couple other games you you probably need to win, and then can you win a couple of these other coin toss games? So I think they can get to eight wins. I think that's realistic. Um, if he wins seven games, I think people still feel like okay, we could see some progress, especially if they're playing the way they did in the second half of last season. Um, you know, a lot of people ask, is Mike Norvell in the hot seat and all this? I ju- I do think six wins or less makes it really difficult not to keep him, but just it, it makes it difficult to see how he's going to continue having recruiting success, right. how he's going right. to continue keeping the fans engaged. And I just feel like they need to get over that hump. And so, you know, I, I think, and I think they can, man, they've, they've, they've over the, these last 20, the last two seasons, they brought in 20 something transfers. You know, this is not, this year will be the first year, the vast majority of the players on this team are guys that he brought in. Now, they may not have been his first choice in every situation, but these are the guys he signed and brought into this program. So he's a little bit more accountable for them. They've got to, I really feel like they've got to win seven games and, and to, to keep progress moving forward. And I think they can easily win seven or eight games, but they just have to. They're, a lot of them are going to be close games. As you guys know, they're not going to blow up. Yeah, well, let's go do it, man. I think that would be fantastic. The league, the ACC needs Florida State to be good. College football needs Florida State to be good. Ira, this was so much fun. Thank you for your insight, your time. Really, really enjoyed this episode. Thanks, guys. Uh, Thanks for all your guys' coverage, and we look forward to watching you all on the network. Thanks again to Ira for joining us here to talk about the Seminoles. Oh, man, his stuff about Norvell and about how he was able to keep that locker room starting 0-4, committing to Jordan Travis, which I think 
is very obvious, kind of the positives and negatives of the transfer portal, how that can affect your QB. Um, and then this really tough schedule, you know, I think Florida State's always playing a tough schedule overall, but I'm very excited to see what the Seminoles can do. And I think Ira's right. Eight wins, eight wins would be a really, really good step in the right direction. And I think they can get it done, um, but I do think they're going to miss Jermaine Johnson. But overall, uh, shout out to Ira because he gave us a, a really good recap and a good base of, of what to think about when we're, when we're talking about FSU in 2022. Yeah, I really appreciate his insight and his time was was really fun. Just, I mean, to dive into almost every aspect of the team. And we haven't been able to do that with a, a lot of different teams. I think, number one, just because Ira has been covering these guys for so long. He has literally seen all the changes from the dynasty to, to kind of a, a mini dynasty, revamping it up in the, in the late or early 10s, uh, and then kind of fall out where it is right now. But just to hear his perspective here, all the things he's seen, maybe why those type of things happen. Um, and then really, you know, hearing from him about the this team in 22 in particular and, and the, the wide receiver room has to step up. I mean, the production or lack thereof that we saw from that unit in 21. I mean, of the five top pass catchers, KG, two were running backs and one was a tight end. I mean, that has to change. FSU, there's so much skill just in the state around them, let alone the recruiting footprint that they have. So they're going to have to figure that out. They're going to have to fix it. If they do, look out. Eight wins, I think, is very attainable. I think, like I said, ACC college football needs that to happen. But, guys, thank you for listening. Another great episode of Graham, Lick, and Mac Lane. If you haven't already, go over to iTunes, go over to Spotify, follow our podcast, drop us a little five-star rating or write us a review. It's always a lot of fun to hear from you guys. But until next time, we'll see you all.